The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data. Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to Career Day on the MarTech Podcast. Today, we're going to learn about the skills accumulated and lessons learned from a great marketer throughout the various stops on her career. Joining us for Career Day is a marketing executive at one of the most well-recognized and respected private companies in the world. Darcy Kurtz is the Vice President of Global Product Marketing at MailChimp, which recently announced their product expansion and repositioning from being one of the easiest to use email marketing services to being an all-in-one marketing platform for growing businesses. Prior to her role at MailChimp, Darcy held executive roles at large technology companies that range from computing to personal finance and SaaS. Okay, here's our interview with VP of Global Product Marketing at MailChimp, Darcy Kurtz. Darcy, welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Thank you. Great to be here. It is an honor and a privilege to have you here. The only regret I have is that we didn't get this scheduled in time to have you as part of our Women in MarTech series, but it's great to talk to a prominent leader in the marketing space. So thanks for coming on the show. Sure. I'm excited to learn a little bit about your career. Let's start off by talking about your career path. First off, how did you get into marketing? You know, it's funny. I was one of those crazy kids that would sit and watch TV and see the ads come on and they fascinated me. I love the idea that something like an ad can get people to do something. And I have a very specific memory as a little girl asking my mom, what's that job? How do I do that? And they told me marketing. And that's really what started me on the path. I got my degree in it. And as many marketers do that get a degree, the first place you start is sales. So I actually started as a salesperson at Dell back in the early 90s. We actually have relatively similar career paths in that sense. I kind of knew that I wanted to go into marketing. I majored it in college, and my first career experience was also in sales. I was actually selling water coolers door-to-door coming out of college and phone services, not as glamorous as working at Dell in the early 90s. Fast-growing company, well-branded, well-recognized. Talk to me about your experience in sales, and what did you learn that was applicable to what you do in marketing today? It's one of the most important things I think I've done in my career. Actually, it was so foundational to everything now. One, it really teaches you what core marketing is. How do you position? How do you understand customer needs and then position the right products for them? How do you resolve objections? How do you close? 
those are all the things that we do from a marketing perspective. We just do it offline instead of one-on-one with the customer. So I actually, I loved my sales experience and it gave me so much empathy for the sales team that throughout my career I have supported. So understanding what motivates them, the challenges they have to go through, it has really helped shape what do we need to make them successful from a marketing standpoint. So at the time you worked at Dell, it was one of, if not the largest personal computing companies. Also, they did B2B and enterprise. Were you focused on personal computing? What was the products you were selling? It's funny. Actually, when I started, we were not that big. In fact, most people did not know our name. We were a little almost startup at the time. Uh, So it was kind of fun to watch us grow over time. So I started in a part of the business that we called it transactional. So we did personal and small business computing. And over the years that I was there as the organization ebbed and flowed, I primarily stayed on the small business side of the house, which included PC, server, storage, that sort of thing. So eventually while you're at Dell, you moved from working in sales, you moved up to be a sales trainer and then transitioned into marketing. You spent a fair amount of time early on in your career at Dell. Talk to me about making the transition from sales into marketing. The nice part about Dell was it was a fairly easy transition because they were so integrated. As a direct marketer, sales and marketing were talking to each other every single day. It was highly, highly integrated marketing-driven company. So as I was doing sales training, I was engaging with the marketing team many times a day. So from that, I transitioned into a role doing merchandising where I owned a particular product line and basically had to figure out how do I make sure that all the different channels that we are talking about this, that we're saying the right thing in the right place in the right way. So it seems like this is the start of your career that's most relevant to what you're doing now being in global product marketing. When you were learning the basics of what you call merchandising and what I think now transfers to product marketing, what were some of the biggest takeaways you had as an individual contributor working in that capacity? A lot of it is if you get the core fundamentals of the positioning right, then it's the application of how do you apply that in each of the different channels to really bring that story to life. But getting that core position, that core story down from the very beginning is really what makes all the rest of the marketing work. So I was lucky enough at Dell to really get, a, I call it a generalist background. We got to move through lots of roles. So we did merchandising. I did traditional product marketing, pricing, supply demand, own P&L. So got a really nice foundation of all the different aspects of marketing. And that really helps shape you to understand how all the piece parts work together as you start to move up in the organization. You know, I launched a series of interviews for CMO Week last quarter. And one of the consistent themes talking to people that have been executives and CMOs at large publicly traded companies, and these are people that are years older than you and, you know, are sort of on the latter stages of their career. And most of them started in consumer packaged goods, the CPG companies that were going through these very like marketing driven general management programs where marketing was the center of the wheel. It sounds like you had a similar experience at Dell where you were able to get a broad sense of how the whole company worked. Talk to me about how you view that general management experience when you're managing people that are on your team. How do you get them that experience? And what do you think the value is from not specializing early in your career? 
you know, I am internally grateful for what Dell did for me because I didn't know that I needed to do that. I didn't know that I should be rotating through all the different pieces. We were just growing so fast that jobs opened and they asked me to go take them. So it was part luck and part Dell really creating that. So, and you are exactly right. It's very similar to the large CPG management programs. And in fact, if you look at the people that came out of Dell marketing, kind of from my world, you will see CMOs all over the country. We really did produce an amazing group of people who were prepared to go take on much bigger roles. And today, when my team comes to me and asks me about career pathing and how do I think about it, if people want to be a CMO, which you don't have to, you can be a specialist and an executive in, in especially brands, but if you really want that CMO broad view, getting experience earlier in your career across all the disciplines is really critical. Because the higher you go, the less likely it is that you are going to be qualified to do, you know, a director of digital if you've never done digital. It's a hard thing for people to grasp, I think, because when you're first starting out, you just want to take that ladder straight up and see how fast you can get the titles and promotions. But if you can sit back and really allow yourself to go horizontal as much as possible and really get grounded in how all the different functions of marketing work. Once you get to a more senior manager, director type of role, you accelerate much further and faster. So as you worked at Dell, you were there for a fair amount of time, 18 years, which I joke and say that a career stop is like college. Right now, the average career stop is probably one to two years. But if you're there for four years, it feels like a lifetime. So you went through multiple lifetimes, multiple iterations. You were on the rocket ship at Dell for a long time to the point where you were probably there as it started to slow down a little bit. Talk to me about what it was like to be at a company that was evolving so quickly. And as you were going through that, you went from being an individual contributor all the way up to an executive director. So at least in the middle management to executive level of your career, talk to me about what it was like at a fast growing company and going through that experience. It really is exhilarating. Yes, it looks like I was at Dell for 18 years, but I always say I was at least three different companies. They just all had the same name on the front door. So when you're in that kind of startup environment and you are in hyper growth mode and you're really just trying to keep the wheels on the bus, you're doing lots of learning, lots of just do it, just get it out there and see what works and just trying to keep everything moving forward. And then when you kind of get to the end of that hyper growth and you're in a little bit more of maintenance mode, you can come in and put in a little bit more process. You can really start to optimize in a way that you can't in that hyper growth. And then when we did get more to the top of the S curve and you start slowing and you're a $70 billion company, you learn different things. It was about how do you navigate globally? How do you navigate as a marketer in the bigger organism of a business and really use marketing to drive the business. And you can be much more thoughtful, much more strategic, and just kind of broad in the types of things that you're working on on a day-to-day basis. So eventually you decided to move on from Dell, which must have felt like a divorce at that point, having been there for 18 years. I know that you said it was like three different companies. Talk to me about your decision for moving away from the company that you'd probably been pretty comfortable at, seeing that how much time you'd spent, and what did you decide to do next? As you can imagine, it was a huge decision. I joke, I still bleed Dell Blue. I loved it there. It was just a great experience. But after 18 years, you kind of get to a point where you want to kind of test your abilities and see if all that great stuff that I learned is applicable out in the world. 
So I took a huge leap and actually ended up in a startup. I loved Dell when it was small. So I wanted to go see what that was like to do that hyper growth ride again. It's chaos, but it's just a ton of fun. So I went to a startup there in Austin and uh, ran marketing for them. And it was an incredible learning experience to see what are the different challenges when you get into that stage of company. So I will say again that I've had a similar experience where I was at eBay for what felt like lifetimes. I was there for seven years and left to run my own startup. So I went from a company of 13,000 to a company of one. And there was a downshifting in terms of the resources you have. And I don't think you can get any farther from where I was at eBay to what I was doing when I launched my guitar lesson startup, Strum School. Some people that have listened to the podcast give me a hard time because I mention it all the time. You went from being an executive, you know, or director at Dell, a gigantic company, to being the leader of the marketing team, a CMO. Talk to me about what the role of being an executive at a smaller company is like, and how did you manage that transition? When you look at my last role at Dell, I had about 75 people across nine countries that I was managing, and then go to a startup where I had one person. So it was the two of us just figuring it out. And when you're in marketing, you really have to decide, are you going to be like what I call a business side marketer, where you want a seat at the table and you want to really be driving the business? Are you more of a creative marketer that wants to be more about the creative side? And I'm definitely a business marketer. I am as fascinated by how business runs as I am marketing. And I really see marketing as a way to achieve business goals. So by going to a startup, I, for the first time, had a really strong seat at the table in what is going to happen with this business. What is the business strategy? What market should we be going after? How should we be thinking about the product? How should we be thinking about business models? Because in a startup, the business model is never what you start with. It evolves over time. So how do we monetize? How do we really make a go of this? And so for me, that was a really great transition where from a pure marketing standpoint, yeah, it was much lighter lift than maybe what I was doing at Dell. But from a business strategy and learning how to make a go of a business, take an idea and figure out how to make money from it. It was an incredible learning experience for me. So you get an opportunity to set your own strategy at the early stage startup, right? You're dictating what the business model should be and what your marketing mix should be, but you're also forced to be much more of an operator than you did at Dell. How did you manage to learn all the intricacies of building a marketing machine without the resources having been at a company with 75 people under your watch? Well, there was a lot of rapid learning that went on. I'm certainly somebody that has always rolled up their sleeves and just got in and did work. I never was just a manager where you're managing people. I always had work that I owned and was accountable for. It was on a whole nother level. When you go to a startup, there are just technical details that you don't know. Marketing is evolving so fast. And especially at that time, as things were really moving into the digital world, getting in and understanding how to do search engine optimization myself, not just leading others who are doing it, but actually having to get in there and into the tools. It was a rapid learning exercise for sure. Yeah. Eventually you transition away from your early stage startup as goes with most startups. They don't last forever. Fortunately for you, the company was acquired by good technologies. Was that the reason why you decided to move on? 
It was. It's like the great news and the bad news of startups is the end goal is to have an exit. But when you have an exit, sometimes it ends. <laughs> so that was the end of that. Uh, it was a great experience. But yeah, after that, I ended up moving to Atlanta, taking a role here in Atlanta with a technology company here. So talk to me about the reason why you decided to move. You're now in, let's call it the executive portion of your career. You have experience running a marketing department, but you've been in Texas for what I assume is the vast majority of your life. Talk to me about the personal side. What was going on in your life as your career was going so smashingly successfully? And why did you decide to uproot? Well, as many of these stories go, there was a boy. So it was a purely personal move to come here. And I was lucky enough that At about the time that I was looking to move to Atlanta, there was an amazing opportunity to be a CMO of a technology company that was more mid-market, which was a space I hadn't played a lot in. And it was nice to kind of move out of startup, but still not into the big corporate behemoth and see what I could do there. So you decide that you're going to move to Atlanta for some personal reasons. Uh, As you mentioned, there was a boy. First of all, how did that work out? He's now my husband, so it's all good. He's your husband. Okay, so you moved for a boy, you had your reasons, and there was also some career mobility that came along with that. You moved to a mid-market company. Talk to me about what your experience was as a leader. What's the difference between being a leader of a startup and a leader of a mid-market company? It's so fascinating. I hadn't understood this before I lived it, but they talk about what are the skills needed to start a business. And they talk about like one to 50 million. And then there's another transition from 50 to hundred and then another from hundred plus. And you really feel it because in the startup world, it was very much around how do we get to revenue? How do we really just get this idea off the ground? A lot of ideation around the business model, lots of testing and learning. When you get to that $50 million stage, it's really about acceleration. So the business model has pretty much been figured out. There are things that they're trying to do around how do we really make this a go? And for me, it was interesting because that was actually a Portuguese-based company who was highly successful in Portugal and Europe trying to penetrate the U.S. market. So what I was brought in for was a very different purpose than what you see at a startup. It was about how do we take this really successful business in Europe and accelerate it into that $100 million kind of unicorn stage. So talk to me about the international marketing landscape. You're working with a company that's, you know, you're at a satellite office. They're based in Portugal. What were the communications like? And then what were some of the advantages and disadvantages of being removed from the corporate headquarters? So having done global roles for quite a while, it was something that really intrigued me because it was the reverse of everything I'd done, which is companies that start in the U.S. and how do we go accelerate our European and Asian? It was how do you take a European company and penetrate the U.S.? Totally different challenges because as a mid-market technology company in the U.S., that is a very crowded market. So breaking through and getting traction here in a way that they were used to, because it was just easier for them in a much more contained environment to start and grow in a European country. So it was very interesting. Working remotely was fine. You know, it's great. We have technology today that makes it super easy to be global. And they came here. I went there. We had an office here. So there were people managing the U.S. operations. So I wasn't working from home or anything like that. But It was a really interesting time. 
One of the things that I've seen, I work for a consulting client and I've worked with them for three years, a company named Search Metrics, and they are a German-based company and I work for the US office. And there is always an interesting dance between what the local markets are doing and the direction the mothership is trying to steer. Because when you're working in a single market, no matter how large it is, there's different dynamics than the overarching companies. And that always creates tension, not specifically in search metrics's case, but sometimes that can create tension between the stakeholders of who owns the overarching company and who owns the local market. Did you feel any of that tension? Did you run into a similar experience? Absolutely. You're going to have cultural differences and perspectives. When I come from a perspective of a global U.S. large company and the mothership, as you call it, is coming from a much more regional perspective and just how things work, there was a lot of conversation and education on both sides around how to navigate in the Portuguese world and how to navigate for them in the United States. So I mean that really in every aspect. The go-to-market strategy was fundamentally different in the two countries just based on how business gets done. So at this point in your career, you've moved from being an individual contributor, you know, your experience at Dell, you spent a lot of time there, you have your startup experience under your belt, and you're firmly cemented in this mid-market place. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then. And instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Talk to me about the differences in roles that you view for somebody that is a, you know, let's call you a product marketer that is going from an individual contributor to managing a team to managing entire marketing departments. How do you think about the transition between the roles? What are the difference in responsibilities between those roles? When you're an individual contributor, it is about just getting the task done. But as you start to move up into managerial roles and certainly executive roles, it becomes much more about influencing and negotiating and collaboration across groups 
So I would find my focus as much at my peer set to get alignment, to make sure that everyone understood what we were trying to do and we were kind of all in the same boat moving together. It was much less about what is the deliverable that you have for any given day. So it's just the whole frame of how you think about the world shifts pretty dramatically from being an IC to an executive. Yeah, the ironic thing that sticks out to me is when you're an individual contributor, your peer set, maybe there's some competition, but generally you're younger and those are your buddies. Those are the people that you're spending most of your time with at work. When you become a more seasoned marketer, when you become an executive, sure, you can have close personal relationships with your friends that are in your peer set. But a lot of times you're negotiating and bartering with them for resources. Do you find that at an executive level, the relationships change with your peer group? Absolutely. Because when you are an individual contributor, there is a deliverable that you are responsible for. And a lot of times you can do it by yourself. Maybe you have a few other people you need to pull in. But the end goal is to get this thing out the door. When you're at the executive level, it really is about making the business successful. So it's about how do all of us work together to drive the results that we're trying to at a business level. And all of us will have slightly different views on what that might take to make the business successful. At the end of the day, it's about us all working together as one group to push the business forward. So there is a much different conversation that you're having. It is about a lot more about listening, a lot more about understanding where are they coming from? What are they trying to do? How are all the parts interrelated? Because I might actually get what I want, but in doing that, if you don't get what you want, collectively, we can't actually get anything done. So it's a lot more about how all the parts work together to actually move the business forward. Yeah, I think the executive management dynamics are really interesting. And it's not only like bartering and negotiation that happens amongst cross-functional team, but also there is a little bit of self-sacrifice in terms of horse trading resources and your team's development and your personal development for the greater good of the company. Something that I've heard consistently from executives that to be a great executive, you really have to not necessarily prioritize your needs and desires, but you have to prioritize what's going to be the most effective for the team and basically be able to take a step back for your teams at time. And then also, you know, fight tooth and nail when it's your team's turn to get their job done. That's exactly right. At the end of the day, if I fight hard and win, but the company doesn't win, it really doesn't matter that I won that battle. And an IC level, there is a little bit more of that individual performance that actually is rewarded. Once you're at the executive level, it's how are you as a team working together to deliver the business results? So it really is about sometimes you do have to take a step back because what someone else needs is actually going to be the bigger lever to drive the business results you're looking for. Let's go back into talking about your career path. Eventually, you were at OutSystems and you were the VP of Marketing and CMO, and you moved on to a company called Sage Global. Tell me what Sage was and what was your role there? I was the VP of Global Product Marketing at Sage. Sage is an accounting software for small businesses. So for me, after you know 18 years at Dell serving the small business, I did a stint in the startup and, and at OutSystems that were more targeted at large enterprise. I really wanted to get back into a world where I was serving small businesses because it's just such a rewarding target market to be serving. So Sage was a great opportunity to get back into that space. And it seems like that you're working in a similar space with MailChimp focused on supporting primarily small businesses. I know that there's a wide variety of consumers that are using MailChimp. 
Why do you think that marketing towards small business owners is an attractive problem to solve? First of all, small businesses power the world's economy, hard stop. And yet they are the most underserved market out there. No matter who you talk to, if they are serving small business, they're always looking, how do I move up market? How do I move up market? Because they think that's where the money is. I'd rather go get one whale than to go get hundreds or tens of thousands or millions of small businesses to get to the same revenue. So they are just so underserved, but they're so earnest and hardworking and passionate about what they do. And for me, it's just a purpose-driven kind of thing. And it's why I love MailChimp so much because it is the purpose of this company. The whole reason we exist is to empower the underdog. And there is nothing more fulfilling than coming in every day and knowing I am delivering technology that is going to help these businesses not just survive, but really grow and thrive and make it past that critical five-year mark where more than 50% of small businesses go out of business. Because of what we are doing here, we can actually help them keep their business alive and grow their living from it. So for me, it's a personal passion point around helping these really impressive people do what they love. Yeah, I think there's a noble cause to helping small business owners. I also think that from a business perspective, a lot of the tools and solutions for small business owners are primarily self-service. So you're not managing a big expensive sales staff for the most part. They're people that are going to be the operators themselves, but they're also willing to invest in technology and services that an individual consumer wouldn't, right? They're able to pay a higher price point because it is still a business. You can get a lot of people paying a good chunk of money instead of a few people paying a ton or a bazillion people paying next to nothing. And it seems like the sweet spot for a highly profitable business. Absolutely. So it's definitely in that, how do you do self-service in a way that it's actually consumable? So one of the things that MailChimp has done so brilliantly is make it super easy to come into MailChimp, start using it, get up and running right away so that you start to see the results. And small businesses want to spend money on marketing. They know they need to spend money on marketing. So this isn't a matter of do they have money or not. They have it. They know they need it. It's just about spending it in the right ways because it is a much higher risk for them when they spend $100. If they're not going to get $105 back, that's truly money coming out of their pocket, right? It is about being able to put food on the table and pay their rent and support their families. So it is a much higher risk than for a marketer that's in a very large organization where if you try something and it doesn't work with the first time, it might have a little bit of impact, but you're probably not going to go out of business, right? So that it's just a much higher risk level. So it's not that they're not going to spend money. They are going to spend money. It's just harder for us as business people because we actually have to provide a product that is valuable enough for them to actually spend their money. I believe that the most effective marketers are the ones that at some point in their career have spent their own money on the marketing because you truly understand what you need to do to build an effective marketing program. You can limit the amount of fat as opposed to just spend your way into success. Talking a little bit more about your career, let's get on to MailChimp. What was the reason why you found MailChimp as a company so attractive? It really does get me back to my roots. I talked about the purpose of MailChimp and Living in Atlanta, there's sort of a urban myth about working at MailChimp and what that is like. And frankly, it sounded way too good to be true, but I was interested in coming and checking it out. And it turns out that this really is a very magical place. 
when they talk about empowering the underdog as their purpose, it's not just words on a piece of paper. It is what we live and breathe every single day here. It is so a part of the DNA that decisions don't even have to be thought of through that lens. It's just automatically from the top down. Ben and Dan, our founders, are very passionate about supporting small business. It's personal to them. And they just created this really, I call it the Disney world of jobs because it just is a magical place to work where you can fulfill your mission and have really, really interesting work at the same time. So it seems like from a career perspective, it's also a good match for you. You know, you mentioned that going through OutSystems and Sage Global, that you realized that you wanted to be focused on a specific type of consumer, that you liked the SMB space. And then you also went from, you know, being a CMO at a growth stage company and becoming slightly more specialized and focused on being a VP, but in product marketing. Talk to me about what you see the difference between running the entire marketing department and then being a, let's call it a vertical area specialist, even though you're still an executive and running a function in marketing and product marketing. It's interesting how every company defines what functions are under a CMO a little bit differently. And certainly at more of a mid-market, you have a broader swath of things. What I really enjoy about product marketing specifically is I'm kind of a technology geek. So I enjoy being able to get close to the product, understanding what it is, and really being that translator from what is this thing in a very technical way and translating that into something that consumers will understand and really see as a value and a solution. So product marketing for me is something that I've really enjoyed. At at MailChimp, product marketing is still very, very broad as far as all the different components that it entails. Not only are we doing things like influencing roadmaps and go-to-market plans, we also have demand gen and how do we actually bring people in. We own the revenue number. So it's still a very, very broad role. The parts that it doesn't encompass are things like brand, which at MailChimp are super important, and partnerships and channels and things like that. And frankly, those are things that while I have done at a very light level, I'm not super deep on. So I'm enjoying being in a role where it's really playing to my strengths and getting to sit next to people who are some of the best brand and partner marketers that I've ever been around. And I am learning through osmosis through them every single day. One of the things that I respect the most about MailChimp is, first off, it's a private company. Recently, with the last announcement about the expansion and your product expanding beyond just an email marketing platform, they talked a little bit about the revenue figures. I think the quote that I saw is MailChimp is essentially four times the size of Slack, which is a company that everybody thinks is the rocket ship in terms of B2B SaaS, but it's private. So you don't hear much about it. Talk to me about the role being a private company plays and how the management is run and how does that affect your career path? Yeah, you're right. We're about a $600 million company. It's surprising and shocking when you get in, you don't really realize what an amazing company this is. I've worked at Fortune 50 publicly traded company. I've worked at a couple of venture backed where you've got all your VCs really running the business. So to me now in the private world was really a huge change in the prism that I look through the world. It just frees you so much because every single day, we make decisions based on what's right for the customer. Hard stop. Whereas at both of the other types of companies, publicly traded and VC-backed, you often have to make trade-offs that are the best thing for the shareholders. And it's short-term. It's what do you do for me this quarter? 
It's just, what did you do for me? Period. You've got to manage every single lever on the PL. It's not just top line or bottom line. You've got to manage all the pieces in between because you don't know how they're going to interpret if some number isn't quite right. So while that's not bad, it's great to make sure that you're delivering for shareholders. There are times when that means you are going to sacrifice or make a trade-off of what's the best thing to do for the customer. And we just don't have to do that here. And it's just liberating. It's a whole different way to look at the world. I will go on the record of saying MailChimp is one of my role models as a company. And obviously, we are in dramatically different places. I am a, a solopreneur managing a team of consultants all the way across the country. But the idea of staying private and building something for us, it's a podcast network and a community around the MarTech community. And for MailChimp, it is ways to help the small business consumers. But I really do respect the approach the brand has taken and their ability to not only be a large enterprise level company, but a growth stage company and also a startup at the same time in the sense of launching new product lines and doing things innovative and MailChimp's approach to business is something that I absolutely respect. Yeah, it's an amazing time to be here because we are going through this transformation. From a pure marketing standpoint, if we want a marketing geek out for a second, it's kind of fun to say you've got this amazing brand, MailChimp, that equals email. And it so equals email that you're more likely to actually Google MailChimp than email. But I now want it to equal all-in-one marketing platform. And how do we do that? And how do we leverage this amazing brand while also transforming what it stands for and that sort of thing? So from a product marketing and a brand standpoint, it's a really interesting time to be here to figure out how do we leverage what's great while also transforming and repositioning. The only thing that I'll say is chimp.com is listed for sale. (laughs) (laughs) And I do want to ask you one more question about your career as we wrap up. As you think back about going from an individual contributor at Dell, your startup experience, relocating, working mid-market, now working for a private company in MailChimp, what advice do you have specifically for the younger women that are interested in your type of career path? What are some of the things that they should prioritize? And what are some of the things that they should ignore that will help them achieve success? It's interesting. As I was kind of growing up in the business world, there really weren't a lot of role models of female executives, period, much less female leaders in marketing which is really odd because at the individual contributor level, there's a very nice mix. So something weird happens as we move up the stack. And I made a ton of mistakes in trying to role model the men that were ahead of me. So a lot of what I've learned is how do I learn to be myself while still advocating for myself, taking what is great about being a female executive and not just looking to our male role models for everything. So that was a big piece is just how do you get comfortable in your own skin? I think it's a little bit better now. It's getting better every year, which is really exciting, but I think we still have a long way to go. From a pure marketing standpoint, it really, for me, is about how do you understand the business? How do you speak like a business person? You can't just speak marketing speak. You have to speak business speak. And today, more and more, you also have to speak technology speak. I was lucky enough to spend most of my career in technology. So by default, I have to understand what's going on in that world. If you're not in the technology field, it is just imperative that you set aside time and really understand what's going on in technology because that is what is spurring all the innovation right now in marketing. And the last thing I'd say is culture is everything. Now that I've been at MailChimp, 
and I see what it means to really take great, interesting work and couple it with an amazing culture that fosters innovation, allows you to do new and different and interesting things, respects you for who you are. If you can find that magical mix of interesting work and a great culture, there's just nothing that can stop you. Well, Darcy, let me just say that I've heard consistently from the female executives that I've interviewed on this show that when they were early in their career, they didn't have a lot of role models to look to. So if nothing else, I hope that this episode reaches someone else that's early in their career, one of the younger women in marketing that is looking for a role model, and here's your story, and hopefully they realize that not only can they become a CMO or an executive at a large, successful company like MailChimp, but they could also do it by being themselves. It is definitely possible. You are living proof that it is possible, and I appreciate you coming on the show, and I appreciate you sharing your experience with the MarTech community. So thanks for being our guest. Thank you for having me on. This was fun. Okay. That wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Darcy Kurtz, the VP of Global Product Marketing at MailChimp, for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Darcy, you can click the link in our show notes, or you can send her a tweet at Gizker, G-I-Z-K-U-R, or you can visit her company's website, which is MailChimp.com. A couple of links in our show notes that I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, we've got you covered. Just head over to martechpod.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. If you're a subscriber to the Martech Podcast, thanks for being a member of our community. We always want to hear from you, so we created benjshap.com slash question, where you can send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. My handle is benjshap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P on LinkedIn and on Twitter. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day during the work week. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. Or if you'd prefer to have our content delivered to your inbox, we also have a once a week newsletter with links to our audio players, episode summaries, and the contact information for our guests. To subscribe, go to benjshap.com slash newsletter. Okay, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.